Hello, friends. This is Ken Aldrich, Head of School. And in this edition of the Quaker Matters podcast, we get to hear from our very own Director of Technology, Greg Miller. On this episode, Greg discusses the evolution of technology at Friends and how it's been introduced during his three decades here. He will also share the importance of the one-to-one laptop program and what it's been like to share the Friends experience with his three children. Hope you enjoy. The thing that's really cool about coding is that it teaches kids, I think, this incredible life skill which is how to take this problem and break it down into smaller, more manageable units. And that's what coding is all about, like taking a problem and saying, how can I get the solution with these little pieces, putting them together? And sometimes for kids, like, you know, I try to tell them when I was teaching, take this into life. You know, you got any kind of problem. It looks overwhelming, but if you try to break it down into each of the little pieces and just attack a piece a little bit at a time, you can get rid of the overwhelming aspect and you can say, I can, do, I can take care of that little piece, I can take care of this little piece and just keep working at it like that. It makes things a little more achievable, I think, sometimes for some kids that get overwhelmed. Welcome to another episode of the Quaker Matters Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Wilmington Friends School's Director of Technology, Greg Miller. Greg, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I am pumped up to learn more about you. Um, (laughs) What drew you to Wilmington Friends School all the way back in 1992? So the real story? Yeah, the real story. It was a girl. Um, I was dating somebody at UD and... I was actually working in Virginia, and I'm like, uh, I guess the only way to make this thing work is I got to move to Delaware. So I interviewed at St. Mark's and here, and basically any school in Delaware. And instead of a resume, I actually like laid, used layout and computer layout and stuff, and did a newspaper about myself. That was my resume. It was a newspaper all about me, and it was all these articles about how I had done this at the school and this at the school, and it was writing it in like the third person. And the title of the newspaper was "Opportunity Knocks" for the school that was interviewing me. <laughs> I love that story. That's awesome. As you, I'm curious. So, at what point did you realize in your tenure? Did you begin to understand, like, hey, I might be at this place for a really long time as you are now approaching year 32? Was there a moment? Pro- God, I don't know that there was a moment. You know, I would guess, you know, probably when Jesse, my oldest, first enrolled, I'm like, well, okay, there's a good 18 years. I'm probably not going anywhere. You are the director of technology here at Friends. What does one do as the director (laughs) of of technology? That's a great question. A lot of my former wrestlers would say nothing, that I just sit in my office and tell Todd to do everything. Um, It varies. I mean, it's varied over the years. So, like, now, it was funny, like, Eddie Gallagher just started this year and he kind of wanted to get a kind of a sense of what I do. So I was like, let me look at my email starting from July to July. And like, I just made this list of all these things and it's just, it's kind of scary sometimes. So like our entire, I don't know how to describe it, but our entire system that we use for the school, which is blackboard and, you know, so we're talking all the alumni, all parents, all students, all teachers use this one software program that we use. So that's a big chunk of it, keeping all those people happy and, you know, 
things change and they upgrade and they're like, ah, it doesn't work the way, you know. And then there's the physical hardware part of it too, where, you know, we only keep hardware three years and then we get all new stuff and get rid of everything. So that's a big chunk. And it's like day to day, just a lot of it's troubleshooting and putting out fires. I never know what's hap- going to happen on any given day. <laughs> like, I absolutely have no idea what any given day is going to be like. Since our last anniversary 25 years ago, which you were present for, how has technology changed here at Wilmington Friends School? I'd say the biggest, probably the biggest change that it's, it's really right. In, like in the beginning, it was kind of like a special thing that we, you would try to use here and there. And it feels like now it's just everyone depends on it. And that's a little scary for me. I mean, it's pretty good job security, but it's terrifying that, you know, the entire school, every single teacher, virtually every single kid (laughs) and all the parents are completely dependent on the system working and all these computers working and everything working. I would say that, that it used to be something that people had to seek out to use and really kind of make an effort. And now it's almost a thing where you have to make an effort not to use it. How have the advancements of technology over the years enhanced and helped transform the classroom for both teachers and students alike? In terms of it being transformational, like all of a sudden, all of this knowledge is like in their hands all the time, you know, and it's a lot less about memorizing stuff and and more about taking that information and kind of manipulating it and knowing how to use it, knowing how to know, is it good information or is it bad information? I've got everything I could possibly ever want to know and a whole bunch of stuff I don't want to know about the same topic. And so I think that from an educator standpoint, you've got to help kids realize that. Just because it's printed on their screen doesn't mean it's real. Um, I think it takes a lot of the, like what used to be like brute force work out of the picture. Like you don't have to like make flashcards anymore because you can go to Kahoot. You don't have to make this and that. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to search for your notebook all the time because you can everything when you're in your laptop. So I don't know. There's a perfect answer for that. I think that makes sense. I'm curious. So can you explain to our listeners, our audience, the one-to-one laptop program and why I believe 12 years ago you really pushed for this and believed in this? So it's interesting because, you know, we had a tech steering committee at the time and we would meet every year and kind of just or every couple of years and decide everyone was like begging us for technology. Everyone wanted a computer in their classroom or or this and that and the other thing. And we had to constantly sit down and look at all these requests and say, yeah, we can't afford this. We can't afford this. And this is what we're going to recommend we do. And it seemed like everyone wanted tech, 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 tech. And so we got into this mode where we were kind of doing this trickle-down thing where we'd build a lab and then we would take all the old computers from that lab and like make another lab or put them out in the classroom. And what ended up happening was we were spending 70 to 80% of our time fixing all these old things. And all the new things were kind of up and running and going, but we were just spending so much time fixing this old stuff. And so the other thing that felt like that we were just, teachers were missing out on these educational moments. We had all these laptop carts um, and so, but you know, you'd be in class, you'd be teaching something and a kid would have a question about something. It wouldn't be like, all right, everyone get out your laptop and let's look at that. It'd be like, all right, hold on. Let me go see if the laptop cart's free. You have to leave the class alone or go and schedule it. And then the big pain was it weighed a ton. It was really unwieldy to walk through the hallway. You know, you'd get it there and like a middle school teacher, for example, would have the cart and they would do something with a class a section and they have two of their three sections are done and then they just can't get it for that third section and like weeks go by and they're so far behind and so it really made things bad 
And so I kind of knew we needed to go one-to-one. And I mistakenly thought that the reason that we needed to go this was to increase the use of technology in the classroom. And we got a lot of pushback from that. Like, well, why? Why do we have to increase the technology? And so we actually went, I took a group of like five or six of us. We went to Apple and Apple hosted us and really started talking to us. And what we left with was, you need to find your why. And it was all about finding our why. Why were we doing this? Why were we doing this? And the more we dug and the more and the deeper we dug and started to unpack this whole thing, we realized that it was an equity issue. Teachers were already using technology all over the place. And we created a bottlenecks with the, lap, with the laptop carts. And then we created an inequity issue with kids that didn't have what other kids had at home. So we had some kids that had their own laptop at home, latest and greatest. They could go home and do their electronic homework that the teacher was assigned. Other kids had to wait and borrow a siblings or a parents. We had some kids that had to go and go to the public library. And we even had one kid at one point that said, look, I, I can't get a ride to the public library. And we had to loan a kid a computer. And at that point, I was like, what are we doing here? You know, we're, we're, we're not using technology in a good way because it's become such a hurdle for some kids just to get access. Labs were full all the time. You know, like the teacher would teach in a lab a class and then the class would leave and there'd be no time to troubleshoot anything in that lab because a group from another class, it wasn't a computer class, was coming down to do something. So it just really made sense to go one-to-one and put it in everybody's hands and level the playing field. And it feels like it, it, I mean, it has, right? Completely, completely leveled the playing field, yeah. Transitioning perfectly into Apple Corps. So what is Apple Corps and how can French students get involved? Uh, it's a student tech team, kind of our first line of defense. We borrowed it from a school that we, where we toured when we were first thinking about the one-to-one. And the idea was, it's Todd and me and that's it in here in terms of tech support. It's crazy for to have like a line of kids waiting to tell us, hey, I can't print or my kid, you know, something's not working right where now we have this tech uh, Apple core and it's kind of a, it's great because students and teachers go to them first, ask simple questions. And, you know, if the Apple core kids can fix it, then their kids are on their way. And if not, you know, they open a door and they bring the kid in here to one of us. So it's been huge, hugely successful. Can you touch a little bit upon the computer science program? I know originally you started here as a computer science teacher at the middle school and upper school levels. And just in speaking with Carol down at lower school about all that they do with the lower school students and the introduction to computer science. And now, you know, we look at all we do in at lower school, middle school, and now to HL level computer science at upper school. How does this enhance the child's education and just how have you seen it grown over the years that you've been here? Well, when I got here, I mean, there was a pretty robust computer program in lower school. Now, they they were using like Atari computers and it was a lot of like, you know, game type stuff. I remember going into the computer lab down there. There was a woman named Bertie Toller was the lower school computer teacher when I got here. And I went down there to talk to her a little bit about things and she was setting up for a class and, you know, and she had to go to every single computer and put in a boot disc and then put in the game disc and then they all played like an intro song. And so all of them were off by like three seconds and I'm trying to ask her questions. She's just going at her better business. Like, and there's like 20 of these things and I'm just like, how in the world can anything happen down here? But that happened like that for a long time. You know, they had a program when I got here for lower scores and there was computer classes here when I got here. There was, you know, a lot of application courses how to do word processing and there was keyboarding courses, but I was teaching a basic programming course when I first got here to some kids and we were doing hypercard courses and things like that. And so as we've expanded 
some of the things that we used to have to teach kids, like how to do word processing, how to use the computer, what a mouse is, those have kind of gone away because the kids, they grow up with it now. And so we've kind of merged more into a coding concept. The thing that's really cool about coding is that it teaches kids, I think, this incredible life skill, which is how to take this problem and break it down into smaller, more manageable units. And that's what coding is all about, like taking a problem and saying, how can I get the solution with these little pieces, putting them together? And sometimes for kids, like, you know, I try to tell them when I was teaching, take this into life. You know, you got any kind of problem. It looks overwhelming, but if you try to break it down into each of the little pieces and just attack a piece a little bit at a time, you can get rid of the overwhelming aspect. And you can say, I can, I can take care of that little piece, I can take care of this little piece, and just keep working at it like that. It makes things a little more achievable, I think, sometimes for some kids that get overwhelmed. One might think that in a role like yours as the director of technology here, you maybe wouldn't get as many opportunities to connect with students like a typical teacher would just having them every day in their classroom. However, like it's pretty clear to me that you have this really great ability to connect with students. So I'm just wondering, in, in your role as the director of technology, how have you still been able to connect with so many different students over the years and really have had such a positive impact on them? I think primarily it's coaching. Um, coaching middle school, that's where I kind of meet a lot of kids. Unfortunately, it's mostly boys, but coaching football and wrestling, you know, I, I get to meet a lot of the kids. Um, and, you know, it's only an hour out there on the field or an hour in the room, but especially in the wrestling room, it's a pretty intense hour. And I get to know their personalities quite a bit. Um, and then usually that just carries over for whatever reason. You know, usually when I end a wrestling season, I'll tell all my wrestlers, like, look, you guys have been through a season with me. From now to the end of time, you're allowed to call me coach. And I think a lot of them like that. And they just like seeing me in the hallway and say, hey, coach. And then I have kids come and they hang out in the office and they form almost like clubs or whatever. I don't know. And I think, I think there's that. And then when I have to do tech support with kids, I try to really make them feel okay like no one's in trouble it's not a big deal i try to be funny i think one of the reasons is i'm basically still a 12 year old at heart and so you know i make fun of them in a fun way but i try to make light of the situation and you know and then i think that helps i think they i think they respond to that what do you enjoy most about being the faculty advisor to the Random Acts of Kindness Club? I enjoy that, that my daughter started it. I think that's probably one of the biggest pieces. She and some buddies in middle school came up with this concept completely out of the blue. Um, and it's really exploded. I think that what I enjoy the most now is watching a buzz happen. Like just for example, last year or last, you know, last school year, they were finishing up one project and they were like, hey, let's do something like out of the blue. Like, let's do an Easter egg thing and let's get a bunch of empty eggs and fill them with candy and things like that. And they got all excited and then they started planting them. And like kids were like not running, but like excited to like go around. And there was this buzz, especially because this year they did like these golden eggs that had like free swag in the in the in the bookstore or whatever. And so when they can create that kind of buzz, I think it's really, really cool. I want to get back to your coaching career as you were a longtime varsity wrestling coach, over 150 career wins. I think you were in the role for around 22 years. Um, and in doing my prep, I came across this from Brad Engel 
reflecting on his experience at Wilmington Friends, and, and he noted, one of the biggest character-building experience I had from Friends was my time with Greg Miller's wrestling program. I honestly don't think I could have survived in New York and a very competitive improv comedy scene without the balance of humor and discipline that Friends Wrestling instilled in me. I might not be on the map, but I am pushing myself through failures and eventually finding success. I guess, how does hearing this and the impact that you cl- clearly made on Brad here, how does this make you feel? Pretty proud. <laughs> I mean, Brad's a great guy. He's half of Brash, which was Brad Engel and Josh Klein. And the two of them were just like, you know, we called them Brash because they practiced together all the time. They wrestled like right after each other. Um, Brad was interesting because he had never wrestled, had really didn't have any, you know, had no relative in it, had nothing. and just came out out of the blue and worked his butt off and ended up like as a senior was beating kids that he probably didn't have any business beating. Um, he just worked really hard. And I think that's probably the most rewarding part of wrestling is we get so many different kinds of kids, you know, so we get kids that most of the kids we get have never been on the mat, want to know where the ropes are and where their cape is. You know, you get a couple kids that are really into it and really want to get, and, you know, we had our one state champ, Ben Altman, was so into it. And it was like, I, I was into it at the time. His dad was into it. And it was like keeping up with him um, in terms of extra training and lifting in the mornings and stuff like that to help him get there was incredibly rewarding because it was something that was a goal of his. He really wanted it. And, you know, watching him do that was amazing. But on a much lower level, it's incredible to take kids because often I get kids that just, they don't fit. They're like, I'm not tall enough for basketball. I'm not, you know, I'm not fast enough for basketball. I don't like this. I don't like that. Um, and they try it. And it's incredibly rewarding to have some kid that has a tough time kind of walking across the mat coordinated to win his first match. And, like, that moment, I, I don't know how to describe it. It's it's I just don't know how to describe that feeling when... You had this when this kid is successful, and that's probably the most important thing to me, anyway. Your oldest son Jesse was a very accomplished wrestler here at Friends, and I guess I just want, I just, I guess I just want to know like how that experience was. Um, I would imagine it was very intense. I also imagine there are a lot of proud moments in there too. So if you could just talk about sharing that wrestling experience with him. Yeah, a lot of both. Jesse got really, re- so Jesse started off. You know, we, we, I started him off in, like, Saney's little guys, and he didn't like it. He was getting beat up. He stopped um, crying at practices and stuff. And then seventh grade, when he started here, I was still coaching varsity, and he started to have some success because he knew a little bit of what was going on. And so then I forget when it kicked in, but he just decided he wanted to go for it, and he started doing, like, clubs and training on his own, and, you know, he, he – kind of specialized probably sophomore junior year and so I was just kind of getting out of his way at that point um it was tough it's it's really hard as a coach for me in the wrestling room to focus on everybody else I I tended to my eyes would always kind of be on him and make sure he was doing and he worked his butt off he did exactly what he wanted or what he was supposed to do those four years flew for me as a coach because he was there, and it was just exciting to watch him and exciting to watch all of his, you know, I knew all his friends growing up, and we had this big team, and we ended up, like, his junior year was probably our most successful season when we ended up as state semifinalists. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just a crazy, crazy ride. 
it's a thing where when I retired from varsity, I figured out oh, I'll take a year or two off. And I mean, literally the first day of season, I was in the middle school room helping out. And the next year I was the middle school head coach. You really elevated the wrestling program here in your 22 years. I was reading an article in the paper where as the head coach, you won over 150 matches. You, as you just mentioned, the team made a state semifinal appearance. You're sending multiple kids to the state tournament. I guess, what did you enjoy most about that process and and that build and that climb? All of it. You know, it's a, it's a thing where it was kind of my goal. I, you know, it was a life goal of mine. I want to come into a school and I want to turn it around. I had no idea when I was interviewing in Delaware what the deal was. And one of my interviews was at St. Mark's. And I'm in the office and there's like a state tournament trophy there. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not going to make a big impact here. And that, not that that had any in, influence. I didn't really know what the program was like here. But when I took over, you know, there were four kids on the team and they hadn't won a match in four years. And yet... I would say I think my I was we were 0 and 10 my first year. We were 3 and 7 the second year and then we were 7 and 3 the third year and had a three-way tie for the conference. So it was a pretty quick and what what was nice was is I was coaching middle school so then those kids were coming in and following me to the varsity program. But god, it's just everything. There was matches where we really had a match one time against St. Elizabeth and they were really good and we were we had chance to beat them. We had this one kid on our team who wasn't the greatest wrestler, and if he doesn't get pinned, we win. And he's out there fighting his guts out not to get pinned for us, you know, because it didn't really matter to him at that point. It was so loud that the ref didn't hear the buzzer in the gym, but he didn't. He stayed off his back and won us the match. And this, this guy's Zach Darvish Ruani, and man, that match was just insane when he just fought his guts out to get it. You know, and then I would say another big one was when Jesse got his 100th. Um, it was state qualifiers his senior year, and he was battling a terrible, terrible shoulder injury. And he's wrestling. He lost to a kid he thought he could beat in the first round, so he's wrestling consolations. He's still in the qualifiers, and he's wrestling this kid that wasn't very good. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the first period, he's rolling on the mat. His shoulder had come out. It was out. He's like, it's out, it's out, it's out. And this was going to be his 100th win. And so the trainer comes over, and she's like, all right, well, he's like, no, I got it's back in. I'm like, okay. She's like, well, we got to stay. He's like, no, 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 I got to go, I got to go. And so he looks over to me at the beginning of the next period because they always look to me whether when it's choice, top, bottom. And I told him to take bottom, which we typically do. And for the first time ever, he waved me off, and he took top because he knew. And the ref blows a whistle. He pops this, like, cross-face cradle and pulls the kid back and pins him in like 15 seconds and then that was it and then we just the tornado we just pulled him and his career was over and so it was this insanely high point and yet at the same time kind of a crushing defeat and I have this picture of him that I can't even look at because I get all like choked up looking at his expression you know because it was it was tough I appreciate you sharing that story and, and um, I, I guess like it dovetails really well into the next question, what has it been like sharing the friend's experience with your three children? You have two children who have graduated. Cooper is a rising eighth grader this year. Just how how has that been, knowing that, you know, they are students and this is your professional workspace? But just, yeah, if you could speak to sharing that experience and, and what that has been like. There's so many facets to that. So, you know, I have friends from college and high school that make a lot more money than I do. Um, and I kind of view this as my investment. Um, I'm making an investment in my kids. And so 
they're going and doing things and, and having this incredible experience that I couldn't have provided for them probably unless, you know, at least not doing something in another school or whatever. So that is huge to me. Um, but the other thing that is incredible about this place is that these three kids are so incredibly different. <laughs> and the school does what it preaches. It preaches that we're going to find that of God or what's important to you or what your skills are and help you focus on them and really let them come out. And so, you know, Jesse was able to do exactly what he wanted to do. He was able to excel at wrestling. He was he played piano and, and trumpet and really had this great musical niche. And he was really into, like, improv, improv with his trumpet. And, like, he did, like, a you know, an informal concert and did this whole Billy Joel thing. I had a little bit of fame for that for a little while. Um, and then he graduated. And, and, you know, when he was here, he was, you know, IB and just high-end academics and things like that and ended up going to Hopkins. Um, and then Allie <clears throat> was more of a chugger and plugger and things didn't come as easily, but she didn't give up. And she just, you know, she never let up. She just kept, she just works her butt off. She works really, really, really hard. And what's incredible is that she's gotten to do everything that she wanted to do. School with the SYA, she got to spend a year in Spain, and now she's gonna. She graduated UD last year, and she's basically she's gonna be teaching kindergarten at a bilingual school. So it's like her dream come true. So the cool thing is, you know, and then Cooper is Cooper, and he's going up through the lower school, and there were opportunities for him down there. Like the garden report, I don't even know if you know anything about that, but he did this garden report during the pandemic that was a thing that we put into the lower school good news. And it was just a video of him in our garden and stuff. And he got some some notoriety from that and really enjoyed that. And and now he's up here and, you know, it's just incredible that he he's excited to come to school. He doesn't hate school. He doesn't, you know, moan homework. He doesn't do anything. Really good set of friends. It's an amazing place. I don't think, I mean, I never, looking, there's no way I would ever done it differently. Transitioning a bit here to our Mad Minute segment, my first question for you is, favorite spot on the Wilmington Friends School campus? I'm going to have to say, sitting in that doorway in the wrestling room where I look at the respect off your nun wall and, you know, that's where I probably feel most at home is in that room. Favorite food? Chocolate ice cream. Favorite musical artist? Mm, Led Zeppelin. Favorite TV show? Right now it's between The Curse of Oak Island and Alone. Favorite movie? The Big Chill. Ring the bell segment. Same two questions to each guest as we end the podcast. My first question for you is, what do you want your legacy here to be at Wilmington Friends School? I guess it would be different from just a random student and, and one of my wrestlers or my athletes. I would hope that I would be remembered as someone that just helped. You know, it was like helping a kid learn how to wrestle or learn how to block on the football field or learn how to put his pads on or learn how to, you know, get out of this jam on the computer that they got into for the third or fourth time. Um, one of my favorite sounds when I was in the classroom was a kid saying, oh, that was just, that was one of my big things. So I, I don't know about my legacy, how I'd be remembered is, I mean, if anything, more I would think from my kids. And my final question, what is your why? I'm a fixer. I like to fix stuff. I like to problem solve and I like to make people happy because I eliminated an obstacle or a problem that they were having. And so, you know, sometimes the problems are school-wide and I'm pulling my hair out and sweating and not loving life too much. 
And other times it's a little quickie and the person will come in and they're at the their wits end and they walk out and they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. You've, really, you've saved him everything. I'm like, okay. But I think that's my why. It's because here, that's what I do every day. Every single day I'm fixing something or I'm making somebody feel like I removed an obstacle from their life. By the same token, I think I don't really do that in the wrestling mat in the football field, but what I feel like I do there is empower kids. Empower them to realize what they are capable of, whether they're way, way, way undersized on the football field or whether they're super slow and not really getting in the wrestling mat. But if I can empower them to say, look, this is your deal and whatever you, you're going to get out what you put in and, you know, let's do something great with this. And so I, I think that's probably it.